And welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. I'm your host, Delvin, aka the Dark Web. In case you're new to the show, welcome. And let me tell you what this thing is all about. We're going for a wild, crazy ride chronicling the awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of Marvel Comics, the Transformers. But I will not be going at it alone. Let's meet my companions in this chronicle and learn what this show is all about. First up, a man who, despite his lifelong love for comics, he's never encountered Marvel's Transformers before until now, and is seeing what all the fuss is about with these robots in disguise, the founder of the Longbox Crusade, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Christatos. Welcome, Pat. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Longtime listener, first time caller. Nice, nice. So tell us something about yourself, Pat. What's been going on since last episode? Oh, well, boy, since last episode, Will, I got to meet up with uh, you and some uh, Jared and Jason at the Heroes Con and got to hang out with fellow podcasters and podcast listeners as well as some of our Crusader Club members as well, too. So it was uh, definitely a good time. I made it back in one piece. Again, traveling with Jared was, you know, on the highway is a scary thing. <laughs> I've done that a time or two. I just fall asleep. He loves it. You should have <laughs> just, just done that. I should have. That way I wouldn't have to keep my eyes open on, on the road and worrying about uh, how close we are to other cars. <laughs> good times. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Being Pat's Transformers guide is a big job. I first read these comics when I was a kid, so I probably could have done it alone. But this next guy insisted that he helps me out in Sherpa duties. He's our Transformers expert. Just ask him. The lesser half of Married with Comics and Transformers the Rod Pod. Hi, Maggie. Jonathan Schaefer-Hames. What's up, John? Hey, Devin. Hello, Pat. How are you guys? Great. Fantastic. What's been going on with you since last podcast? Let's see. Since the last podcast, I had a birthday. Ooh, yes. Happy birthday. So, so that was fun. I got a Transformers-related gift. I had just mentioned in passing once that I had never had a Starscream toy when I was a kid. And I'm not one right now to be collecting toys, but Maggie bought me a Starscream. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And it's in a place of honor. And I keep changing it back and forth from <laughs> robot to plane. Firstly... There's nothing wrong with being a man in his 40s collecting toys. In fact, one could say that the whole purpose that gives adulting meaning is having money to do things like buy exactly. <laughs> that you couldn't as a kid. That's what the Transformers now are being marketed towards. I mean, I, did you see that thing that dropped today? The Unicron? The Unicron? Yes. Oh, my God. A part of me sees that and is like... You know, if I had an extra $550, $575, yes, this thing's going to be well over two feet long, or I'm sorry, well over two feet tall. It dwarfs the uh, Fortress Maximus toy, which up to this point is the tallest. Yes. I think they have to sell a certain amount of them because of the level of complexity necessary to make these things. Yeah, I think the limit is at 800 right now. Like right. that's the number that they wanted to. And when I looked at it, there was a relatively small number. And then you had overseas people who were a little bit upset because right now it's only available to United States and Canada. Right. So, yes. Hmm. So we diverted a little bit, but hey, you know what? We're our grown men talking about toys on a podcast, so we're allowed to divert. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but we cannot forget about you. How have you been since the last podcast? What's been going on with you? Uh, I've been all right. Uh, Pat mentioned that uh, the guys came up uh, from long, the Longbox Crusade and we did the Comic-Con. And then I had my brother and his folks up the next weekend. And then next weekend, my wife and I went to uh, Paris. That's right. How was that? Oh, yeah. <sighs> It was nice. Neither one of us had ever um, been to Paris before. We stayed about an hour outside of Paris uh, at a chateau that was an Airbnb. So all of that is cool. Now, what wasn't cool, literally, was a oh, right. 
Yeah, and we hit we hit a heat wave <laughs> of uh, historic proportions over in France and Europe. And like when we went and visited and did our um, days tour through Paris, we got to see all the sites that you would want to see. We were on a hop and go or hop on, hop off. I think is what they call it. But it was. I think the hottest day ever on record in France. I remember that when it would happen and I, I couldn't remember if you were there yet. Yeah. And I, I ran back to check the old chat and realize you were. And I was like, oh, poor Delvin. Oh, it was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the Chateau, as nice as it was, the thing that we had cooling us in our room that was on the top floor of this thing was an oscillating fan. Oh, <laughs> Man. Man. And, oh my god and we also we had separate beds so we were sleeping like we were a 1950s couple <laughs> but neither of us actually minded because like the combined body oh man it was a really good time one of my uh buddies got married to a french national and there was a nice dinner at the end of it and everything and so it was really cool to see a place we'd never been and we had a cool venue uh to uh to be there so all of it was a great experience and with that the three of us will be tackling all of marvel's transformers comics in order starting with issue one and working our way to the series end at issue 80 Pat will be encountering these comics for the first time, and John and I will answer any questions he has to the best of our ability. Feel free to chime in and correct us at any point, listeners. And seeing how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes, this podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. And with that, it's time to talk some Transformers, which we are going to do right after this promo. The Transformers will return after these messages. Hey folks, Nicholas Prom here. I'll bet you thought I was dead or something. Well, the reports of my demise, or retirement rather, have been greatly exaggerated. Joined by my new co-host, Kurt Lloyd, Comic Reflections is back and better than ever. Coming at you from the Island Station Media Lab in Portland, Oregon, tune in for jokes and insights on comic book history as Kurt and I, and sometimes a guest, tackle a single issue from the Silver or the Bronze Age each and every week. You'll find Comic Reflections on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers Issue 9. And here's John with the cover description. All right. Thanks, Dovin. In the corner box of this one, we have the classic Marvel banner in the upper left, along with a great picture of Optimus Prime posing with his laser rifle and pointed at you, the reader, as if to say that he wants you to join the U.S. Army, like every issue since issue five. At the top of the cover are the words more than meets the eye above the classic The Transformers logo, both in solid light blue letters. The cover itself is adequate, but only just. In the forefront and slightly off-center to the reader's right is a female figure clad only in metallic strips, which, though scant, provide about as much modesty as a standard superhero costume designed for women. Looking directly at the reader with a look somewhat between anger and determined. The figure makes a scarlet witch gesture with her left hand, and her right hand glows with a charge of power that looks like it's supposed to be made of Kirby dots, but one of the many hands looks to have blurred the effect a bit. From behind her, taking up most of the page, is a looming Starscream reaching with his left hand to grab the unsuspecting figure from behind. Starscream does not look the best in this cover debut with a head that looks like he's wearing a bicycle helmet. Caption boxes inform us the lady's name is Circuit Breaker. She's out to destroy all robots, that is, if Starscream doesn't get her first. Over in the land of Ivan Chudley, folks read this story in Marvel UK Transformers issues 33 and 34. The cover to 33 was a painting by John Higgins, which showed Circuit Breaker standing front and center, also with her right hand glowing with an energy display. She's shown with far more detail than the U.S. cover, which makes the fact that her hairdo makes her look like Ziggy Stardust-era David Bowie even more amazing. Behind her are Wheeljack on the reader's left and Frenzy on the right, both shown transforming from alt mode into robot mode. Caption boxes tell us Autobots, Decepticons, humans. Stand by for Circuit Breaker. And then 34 is a reprint of the U.S. cover with different captions. It says Starscream versus Circuit Breaker, Battle of the Autobot Haters. 
Battle of the Audubon Haters. I like that. Sounds very uh, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Pat. Yes. You were looking at this cover for the first time. What did you think about it? Well, I was uncertain of what Starscream had on his head, too. I'm like, what is that thing on his head? Why yeah, you be careful when you're flying? <laughs> put your foot on the helmet. I'm like, is that something that maybe Circuit Breaker put on him to control him? As we read in the comic, I think like he had a little helmet. Didn't um, well, we'll get into it in the story, but I'm thinking, well, maybe as I read more into the comic, I'm like, mm -hmm. I was thinking, um, is that something that Shockwave made from Optimus Prime? He was having Prime make. You know, look like a little helmet as well, too. I'm like, well, what are they going to do with a little helmet? <laughs> I don't know. This this one's a little little wackadoo on this one. But Circuit Breaker, you know, looking cool. This is my first time meeting her. So I knew something was coming. So it, it's kind of interesting how it plays out here on the cover. And Starscream kind of looks, he looks pretty menacing as much as he could with a bicycle helmet. <laughs> yeah. As menacing as one yeah. can look with a bicycle helmet on there. Makes, makes me wonder if it was a little more rushed, too, because, you know, it's got that all yellow background, simple, not even colored in any more detailed drawing on the back of it, and just that crumbled uh, purple metal right. circuit breaker. So, yeah, I think what it's got going for him is the caption boxes, though, kind of, you know, trying to sell this to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know what? In fairness to them and the panel boxes, it sold it accurately. You know how sometimes, like, say, in a Spidey panel box, you're like, Spidey's going to die. Then he's going to die again. <laughs> no, no exaggeration here. Yeah, it, that was Circuit Breaker. She is out to destroy all Autobots. <laughs> and Starscream did come after her. It, so, it would satisfy Maggie's uh, requirements for cover art. Yeah, but as far as the content of the cover beside the panel boxes, eh. Mm. Like they just, I, I don't know. It definitely felt like a rush job. And yep, the yellow background notwithstanding, especially because as we're about to discuss, this took place kind of, was it at the racetrack? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, a racetrack would seem like a pretty cool thing they could have drawn. You could have found a way to maybe put Wheeljack and Jazz in there, possibly Frenzy. Mm -hmm. You definitely need a circuit breaker there, too. I, I, I don't know. They could have done something else. It definitely felt rushed, and I'm not a huge fan of that picture of Starscream at all. Again, keeping in mind that I could have an entire year to draw a picture of Starscream, and it would not look a quarter this good. I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I don't know who drew this picture, but I'm not a, like a huge fan of that. And it's kind of a theme for the book. For me, the book has not found its footing as far as that consistent artwork just yet. On the covers? Or on the on covers the and on the inside, too. Okay. But we'll, we'll get to that. Let, let me ask you this one other thing, though. Do sure. you guys think that they should have put Circuit Breaker on this cover? Yes. Or do you think they yes. should have saved it? for like the reveal inside that's a good point too Ooh. they could have showed her in shadows or something something yeah because i mean we'll get to it but her splash page reveal is pretty good mm -hmm. it's yeah, one of the highlights of the issue but i agree with delvin said completely this is quite obviously a rush job in particular because the inker is listed as m hands which stands for many hands that means a whole bunch of inkers were brought on at the last minute because it was going about to miss a deadline and none of them wanted their names credited to the project. That does not seem good. No. The artist who did both the cover and the interior, this was his first work for Marvel. Oh, I know Mike Manley. And do you know why I know Mike Manley? No. He drew Darkhawk. Oh, he did. He drew Darkhawk. I when I saw the name, I'm like, I remember that because I read Darkhawk. I have all 50 issues of Darkhawk. Cool. Good for you. I know, right? I'm gonna introduce that. Like people meet me for the first time. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna lead with. I'm gonna lead with that. Could be your crusade miss. <laughs> it could be. Issue. It could be. Yeah, there you go. You ever want to do a Darkhawk podcast? I am your <laughs> co-pilot, man. I love that series. Man, I tell you what, there are people. That's, I mean, of course, that's how this show started, right? There right. are people who have a passion 
for stuff like this. And it's freaking awesome. But go ahead, John. Do you have any other cover thoughts? It didn't quite uh, register with me until you had said so. But what a shame that they had to have a location as a racetrack. And two of the Autobots are race cars, but they don't manage to show them up on the on the cover, even in the background, or even the race car track itself. Instead, we have yellow rubble and purple rubble. Yeah. And what's weird, though, is it is still pretty iconic. I can't hate it completely. The circuit breaker picture is pretty good, but Starscream looks terrible. Looks like the motorcycle helmet to the point (laughs) that it seemed to have fooled Pat like almost all the way through the issue. If your cover is making someone draw bad conclusions about what's going on, that's a bad plan. But there are some accuracies. I do like the um, the shoulder guns. I like the wings, Mm -hmm. but just the overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something's just missing anyway. So we've heard our thoughts. Let's rate the thing. For those who don't know, we rate things here on Transformers Chronicles on a scale of 1 to 10, just like the tech specs, 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. You don't need the red plastic rectangle, though, so that's good news. That's how easy we make things for you here on Transformers Chronicles. Pat, what do you think? What do you rate it? I'm going to rate it a 6. Okay. Want to say anything else about it? Uh, You know, I think I've said enough about it. Okay. That works for me. What do you think, John? I'm going to give it a four, which Ooh. I think ties the lowest I've I've given a cover. It's an obvious rust job that it's just it's a mess. It is iconic. It does show what we're talking about, you know, like you said. But Pat's right. I think I've already said everything I need to say about this, except it's a four. So I'll split the middle there. I'll go five because mm-hmm. you take the best cover that we've seen so far, which is the Shockwave cover, right? right? Beautifully drawn, beautifully colored. It had a simple background, but it just played right into the whole thing. And this one falls flat in a lot of different ways. So I think five is a good place to land. I was kind of, you know, on that fence to five or six. I, I bumped it to a six just because, you know, maybe the iconicness of it. Right. It reminds me of the Spider-Man cover, the number three. Yeah, one had a very blank background and a lot of stuff about it that we didn't like. Yeah, I didn't mind three if only because it was so wacky. Right. Spider-Man webbing up Megatron. That was that was just crazy. But this this one, I I don't know, something about it. Like just a lot of elements fell flat on it that could have been better if many hands didn't contribute to it. So that's a good place to stop. Let's uh, turn to Pat here with credits for the issue. Well, the credits for Transformers issue number nine. Publisher is Marvel, of course. It was an on-sale date of July 16th, 1985. Got a cover date, though, of October 1985. Cover price, just 75 cents with a page count of 32 pages. So this is a pretty large book. And as I was reading, I'm like, well, that's pretty good. You know, pretty heavy story. Writer was Bob Budiansky. Penciler is Mike Manley and inks by M. Hands, as mentioned before. Hola, Mr. Hand. <laughs> uh, colors go to Neil Yamtov. Letters is Rick Parker. Editor is James C. Osley, a.k.a. Christopher Priest. Also in here, he's known as the crew chief. And <laughs> Jim Shooter is the pit boss. All these credits were provided by Mike's Amazing World of Comics and TF Wiki. Wiki. Back to you, Delvin. Wiki, wiki. Thanks, Pat. Let's get to the synopsis. And I'm I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance here. It's, it's a little dense. Got the Jason bug. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it can't be more dense than, than number one. It's not, it's not as dense as number one. But, you know, I feel like I needed to apologize because it feels like it's going to take like eight minutes and it probably isn't going to take that long. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. The title of this book was Disintegrated Circuits. 
The story begins with Tony St- <sighs> GB Blackrock racing a car, which is what rich people do in their spare time, I guess, and being cut short on that by his executive assistant. GB was pissed. His assistant said, please forgive me. What interrupted GB was an army general who'd gotten wind that GB was going to make a weapon and have a big press conference about it. General Capshaw appeals to GB's patriotism. GB appeals to his shareholders. Maybe GB really is Tony Stark. GB goes then to visit Josie Beller, who was mostly paralyzed in a previous issue. To fill the void while she's been gone from work, she shows GB an incredible device that sustains its flight by something something science words. GB tries to change the subject, barely able to look and see Josie's face. Lest we forget this book is about the Transformers, the Autobots appear to be all fixed up after having a rocky first few issues, but they're low on fuel and can't possibly face the Decepticons or save Optimus Prime without it. Jazz comes up with an idea to appeal to humans, a flesh and blood they're made, to get it. Ratchet agrees and sends Jazz and Wheeljack along the way. From the Decepticon side, they hear the news about the Autobots and of GB's uh, Tony's, whatever, new weapon. Really unfazed by either, but wanting to keep his Decepticons not bored, so Shockwave sends Starscream and Frenzy to destroy it. Something something Optimus head. Also, Buster something something, he's starting to get that he understands mechanics well, but doesn't know why. I think he just needs someone to hold him. Back to Iron Blackrock, where Josie reveals she's used her tech to become the formidable circuit breaker. You should see how GB looked when he looked and saw her face. GB asks her to stay away from the demonstration, but that doesn't seem likely. Jazz finds GB and they strike a deal. Nothing had changed the way they feel about that. The weapon demonstration was a big dud as Circuit Breaker intentionally sabotaged it to make GB admit instead that she was the weapon he wanted to reveal. The tears GB cried as a result of this humiliation aren't tears of pain, they are only to hide his guilt and shame. A pitched battle between Autobots and Decepticons ensues Circuit Breaker being the agent of chaos in between as she either cannot tell or doesn't care who is a good robot or a bad robot. She just wants a dead robot. The Decepticons retreat. Circuit Breaker is about to kill the Autobots, but GB makes one last successful appeal to her humanity. For while she is fused with circuitry, she's only human. The flesh and blood she's made. <laughs> so let's talk about the book. We do a good bad format here. We let each person from on the show talk about something good, something bad, something high, low, whatever the heck I decide to call it at that present time from the comic, and uh, we we talk about the comments. Pat, what do you have? What do you think? High, low? What do you want? You know, I'm gonna go with a high on this one. I liked how we got to see a little more character of GB. You got to see a little bit, you know, a little rougher side of him uh, on how he handled the Colonel. And then you got to see the soft side of him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, how he felt for her and, you know, how he felt and what happened to her and all that. So, you know, you know, and I started, you know what, this guy's pretty good. He's trying to do right. You know, he, he mainly wanted to go against the robots just because they were taking over his stuff and wanted to get it back. But, you know, the reason his reasoning of why doing it seemed legit to me, you know, not only because of Josie and his stuff getting taken, but also, you know, the plant that they still have, you know, he's got people in there. He's a good guy, a capitalist. Yeah. yeah. I don't disagree with you. I definitely think that BlackRock has a responsibility to his shareholders. I definitely think he cares about the people who are still trapped in the aerospace thing, but it almost seems to be ego driven. In a case where giant robots have taken over your company, in that case, you might want to call in the government on that and not just figure it out yourself. What do you think, John? I have a good, a bad, and an interesting. My good is that Jazz likes Madonna. Well, yeah, that was good. I'm surprised that Madonna. I mean, I'm sure no one brought this comic book to her face and was like, do you see this? Do you see this? But I'm still surprised that they were able to get away with it, you know? Remind me to come back to that comment when we get to number 14, when by that point, it's quite obvious that they do not want to use an actual celebrity. Okay, then I guess I'll chime in with one. I'll chime in with the good as well. I will give Budiansky a lot of credit here. You get the feeling, and I'll talk about artwork a little bit later, and, you know, with the M hands and all that, but Budiansky can put a lot in, a, in 
32 pages. And he did this time, too. While it was dense, it wasn't overcrowded by any means. And he put an intriguing human story in a book about robots smashing into each other. I think that's impressive. I agree. Yeah, I agree. This was definitely more human aspect to it. And the Autobots and Decepticons were just, you know, a little part of it. I think I like it, too, because not only you get the human character of it, but then it also gives the robots a chance to be characterized as well, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw a little bit more with Jazz in this one and Wheeljack. Yeah, I think that you can have a fleshed out human character as opposed to just, you know, an expository one. Just one that's like, oh, look, the robot's going over there. Like, <laughs> right. No. Like actual human beings that how how would they be affected by having these giant robots? That would seem to be something worth exploring. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. Like sometimes I'll watch a movie like Godzilla for Saturday Matinee Theater. We covered mm-hmm. a um, 1950s version of Godzilla. Okay. And, and that was Saturday Matinee Theater episode 30. Good plug. And I was a part of me didn't care about the human story in there. But at the same time, it's like, how else are you going to relay what's going on with like a big monster or a big robot? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first Godzilla or Gojira was entirely about that. It's because it was Godzilla was supposed to be an atomic bomb metaphor. It's very powerful to look at it with that in mind, especially the Japanese version. They're definitely telling a story about something that has happened to them. I got you. There's always uh, arguments among the fandom, the Transformers fandom, about whether or not humans should be around or shouldn't be around. For me, I find them more useful when the Transformers are acting more alien because you need something to bounce that off. By the time you get to the IDW stuff, they're acting like people and there's no real need to make interesting humans when you can just make interesting transformers that act because they're all acting like people by that point. Yeah. That's what I kind of find interesting in reading this mm-hmm. is, you know, there it seems like the writers and that are still trying to find characterization. Mm-hmm. And that could explain jazz or jazz. Like they, who knows how much time couldn't have been much time between last issue and this one where, Ratchet resurrected the Autobots and everything, but Jazz immediately took the human culture. And maybe the reason for that was to start bringing that personality element more into the Autobots. In my head, Canon Jazz has been listening to the radio since issue one. Either that or he's just been listening all day. Like when Ratchet was fixing him, his radio got turned on. So he's just been listening for a while. And he goes, all right, I think I got these figured out. They're all about deals. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> it's a pretty good handle pretty quickly. Yeah. Less of a handle on how fragile we are, but I'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you win some, you lose some. So <laughs> what do you think? You got another uh, good bat there or a high or low? I don't know whether it's a high or low or it's just I found interesting is let's talk about Circuit Breaker. Let's do that. I like how they brought her forward and, and, you know, introduced her in this. The reveal was really cool. And that one page splash is, you know, that wasn't it, though. That Uh, was a really well done. I mean, I'm sure we're going to have comments about the art later, but that is a high point. Her whole and not to step on your toes with that, but the way that is paced, she sneaks in and her reveal. It's it's a great supervillain moment. Yeah. I, what I don't like, and that's where I, that's where the low comes in, is like, oh, she she goes and shows. Well, you just press this little button on my shoulder here, and this is how you dismantle me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's nice. Good old villains always uh, revealing their weaknesses. <laughs> I like the idea of you know. Then she explains, you know, like Delvin said, some some science how the circuits help her move around and you know animate herself. And all that. So and uh, all the extra power she's got, why she's got them, kind of that brief explanation of what she can do. It made sense to me. So there's something I, I want to add to that. I don't I don't have anything to no comment about your comments, but I have something I want to add to that scene that you guys mentioned about, mm-hmm. you know, her breaking in. Mm-hmm. And they had hinted at this for a few issues. Mm-hmm. But. The reveal there of her standing in front of GB after she was in the hospital and she says, I prefer to be called circuit breaker 
now, Mr. Blackrock. How disturbing would that have been if you're like GB and you're sitting there seeing someone who was paralyzed standing before you and she doesn't even want to be called by her (laughs) name. She wants to be called by this crazy circuit breaker name. That would freak me out. I mean, am I alone on that? Freak you out in a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Because to me, when I read this, Again, and I looked at her and, and, and the reveal, I was like, she has completely snapped. Uh, maybe that's what it was about, is to show that she's not who she was. Right. Or she's not anymore. She's, like you said, she's snapped. I think you're right, though. I think he would be a, more than a bit taken aback by this, especially since this is the last issue that takes place in the Marvel Universe. From this point on, they are depicting... Transformers as being on Earth without superheroes. Circuit Breaker, Hmm. though, at this point, which is the last one in the Marvel Universe, reason I know that is because the general's reading a Daily Bugle, is... Thank you. And plus, as we'll learn more about why we know that she is a Marvel Universe character. She has a classic supervillain origin. She gets hurt by someone and she uses her mad science Marvel skills to make herself into a supervillain. So GB Blackrock living in that universe where supervillains exist would be even more put off by this. Oh, crap. I made a supervillain. And a very dangerous one, because at this point, no human has been able to touch one of these Transformers. They've tried with Megatron and Shockwave and they've laughed at them. Mm hmm. I mean, just comes took, you know, tank shots, took missiles from jets and it's like, what is this? You, you guys are like, why are you even trying? You guys are joke, but not Circuit Breaker. Circuit Breaker could definitely touch them and hurt them. So she is instantly a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and I, th- I think the difference there is the other ones try to do it, you know, more brute force where she's actually taking them down mm-hmm. internally, so to say, with her circuitry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has a power set that she can face up to them on their own terms. And she is the, like you said, Delvin, she's the first human to be able to do so. And that's why she's really interesting that way. I mean, we'll see how hinged uh, she stays, hinged or unhinged. I'm going to wager without giving anything away, just based off of what I've read here in issue nine, that she's going to trend towards unhinged. Um, (laughs) And it, it looks like GB did everything that he could to protect her. And stop her from going over the edge. But I think he was a little bit too late in the game on that. I, I don't think there was anything that really could right. he could have done. And and she's a, a villain in the true Marvel supervillain light. In that she's a tragic character. And we can see where she's coming from. She goes too far. But we can see exactly why she would get to the point where she goes too far. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. I guess we should talk about the art. Because there's some really good stuff in here. And it was pretty obviously a rush job with the Incas and whatever. But there's a lot of um, coloring problems with the with the Autobots. Some of the humans look like mannequins, which is unfortunate because, like we were saying, the Circuit Breaker's reveal is a really good panel. He obviously spent a lot more time on it. There's a lot of uh, cool stuff in the background. The whole breakdown of her sneaking into the place is very, very good. It's a very Nick Fury shield mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Well, what do you think, Pat, before I start talking? What do you think? I can see where Jonathan's coming from. Definitely. There are some spots where it's, you know, not a lot of background detailing being done. A little odd, even in the transformations sometimes. A little different than what we're used to. Yeah, and you can, yeah, you can definitely tell that in that section of uh, the introduction to Circuit Breaker and that reveal, definitely a lot more detailed than just a, the next page after that is when she's leaving his office, that little panel where that's like, <laughs> that's really not really good. You know, it, it tells a story. You can definitely tell the story. So I think that's where Budiansky having the, you know, his words in there kind of help move this along. Uh, now I'll chime in. If I'm Bob Budiansky and they put me on this book and they tell me to write it and this is so there's supposed to be the four issue miniseries, but they made a decision either in um, issue three or four. They're going to go ahead and extend this. And we're at issue nine. You're having to pull a mini hands 
just to get the book out on time. I, I'm, I, I would have mixed emotions if I'm Bob here mm-hmm. because you're putting in his work. He put it, put in a very good story and it's an, an incredibly dense plot and it was several good plot points and you get a penciler and then just a, a rushed cover and then a rushed book. So it's like, what are you telling me? Are, are, are we going forward with this thing or aren't we? Like, I would be a little bit frustrated by that because I, you can tell like, th- this is a good story. Mm-hmm. But a comic book is a visual medium. Like I, of course, I love a good story. And you remember those good stories, but you remember that art. When it just when it hits your eye the right way, and there and while there were some good panels, there was just some of the stuff that just that it left me disappointed. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's not only that there's good panels. There's some really superb panels in here. The whole sequence with GB Blackrock talking to Jazz, getting chased by the cops, transforming and jumping off of the cliff, nearly killing yet another human. Jazz yeah. <laughs> shaking his hand. There's eleven panels on that page that manages to carry forward that entire sequence of events. The only thing that makes it bad is that there's very little limited background and the inking is terrible. It just really strikes me as a missed opportunity, especially since starting uh, next issue and going (laughs) forward from there, the art becomes and stays pretty decent. Just looking at that sequence where Jazz gets them in the car and then they start, you see some of the road stuff going on. There's a panel of the road sign that, you know, there's a speed limit and uh, an interstate sign, but it's not even filled in. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Why why is the cop even going after them? (laughs) He's going. There's no nothing on the speed limit sign. That's that's, that's some um, 99 problems from Jay-Z there. You were doing 55 and a 54. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Okay. We've talked about the art. We've talked a little bit about the story. Uh, does anyone want to add anything else? I do think, agree, this was a, a decent story. Definitely the story outdid the art in this one. Mm-hmm. I also like seeing, you know, all the Autobots again. It's like, yeah. okay, well, how are they, you know, they're all ready to go again. Um, how they're going to get their fuel seems, you know, they kind of got that worked out with GB. The two quick parts that they kind of went over with, Optimus's head. And Shockwave, how can he be making anything if he gave the Matrix away already? I wondered that my entire childhood. I could not figure it out. I think the explanation is that he managed to get Optimus to create six lives before he was able to give it to Buster. Oh, okay. And see, the way that I thought it was, was that (laughs) he kind of just had Matrix remnants left yeah i can see either way yeah it's too bad you're gonna miss that one that's gonna be some interesting philosophical ideas about the idea that you can just program somebody to be a decepticon you know you're gonna have a guest and we're 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 gonna give it a we're not giving it away just yet we might mention something but i think you'll have somebody who comes in and can um wax philosophical pretty yeah yeah he's all right yeah You'll, you'll, you'll be in good hands. And, and Buster's part, I kind of like that. Now you see him, you know, he's trying to work the shop for his dad, get some money going in here. And then, you know, he finally understands w- what this power that he has and how it can help him. He's been listening to our podcast and realized mm-hmm. how much he needs to uh, start picking things up. But it, it seems to be setting up the idea of we've got two new characters. We've got a superhero and a supervillain. Yeah, so I do like that. I like that, you know, more foreshadowing that making you kind of go, okay, well, what's going to happen with this now? And what's going to happen with Optimus? Are they going to get his head back? And, you know, what's going on with Buster? So kind of reminds me of the, you know, as we're reading through Spider-Man on Crusader Chronicles, you have these, these seeds that are being laid. And so we're just waiting for those to come to. It looks like there's going to be a pretty big battle coming up. The... Autobots can't just let Optimus Prime sit there without his head. So they're going to have to eventually go after the Decepticons and, and take on Shockwave. And Shockwave right now uh, is looking pretty B.A., you know? Uh, no one's been able to beat him. Do you think, um, you know, the Autobots just kind of hang around with Prime's body like that? Like <laughs> like they're kind of doing a weekend at Prime's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Optimus? I 
think it's great. <laughs> oh, Optimus, you're the best. <laughs> and once we get to issue 12, it's actually, that's going to even be funnier. Yep. But don't give anything away. Not a thing. There's one more thing. Uh, this is the first time we hear the term or we see the term fleshling used. Fleshling becomes the all-purpose insult uh, that mostly Decepticons use about humans. They refer to us as fleshlings. I particularly like the term because it's it's a very rare example of a fictional insult being created that actually is insulting. <laughs> Usually you try to do it and it's just, yeah, whatever. But being called a fleshling by a sentient robot, yeah, hey. It's <laughs> hey, when you say that. That, that, that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it really hurts. And I do like that it was Starscream was the one who seems to have coined the, the term. Well, good for him. He needs to create something other than trouble. That Starscream, he's a disruptor. We didn't talk about him in the book, but he's in the background there wanting to yeah, call him trouble. He's causing a little trouble and he says a little few stuff in the back. Man, that's what he does. He is, he is a troublemaker, that Starscream. Now is the time for us to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. And there are a lot of humans in this book. You got the touch. You got the So, oh, looks like I'm up. Who had the touch in this book? I want to go with Jazz. I liked what Jazz did. Jazz had a pretty smart plan of, hey, we're not going to steal from the humans. Let's work with them. And why not work with the most successful human that we've seen so far who's not named (laughs) Spider-Man? So I, I like that approach. I thought he had a very good plan and I executed it well. So I'm going to go with Jazz. John, who do you think? I was going to go with Jazz too for the same reason, but I think I'm going to go with Circuit Breaker. I mean, yes, unhinged, but when it comes to villain debut, she does amazing. I mean, she takes out Starscream, very nearly takes out Jazz even more permanently than that. And it's only through GB's pleadings and her loyalty to him that manages to avoid those things happening and she flies off to um scheme again so circuit breakers got the touch as far as i'm concerned yeah she had an impressive debut there is (laughs) there's zero doubt about that that was brought forth in a major way what do you think pat i was gonna go to with circuit breaker but i'm gonna go with gb for the touch, as I mentioned oh. earlier, you know, his kind of transformation, he, he's, he's kind of come around to me on, on this one. You know, he, he makes that friendship with the Autobots. You know, he knows what he's got kind of going on and understands how he, they can help him, so, you know, makes that deal. And then you get to see that come to life uh, when the Decepticons attack and he just says, hey, help me. Cool. So if we talked about the touch, then someone had to be out of touch in the segment called Less Than Me CI, where we talk about the character that was the worst in the book. And they should have their 40 foot robot mock up sitting there undestroyed by their big useless weapon. (laughs) But I am just a broken machine and I do things that don't really mean. <laughs> Who is less than meets the eye in this book? You know, I'm not going to go with my normal guy. What? And I'm not going to, you know, Prime was there for a kind of runner-up. <laughs> Prime's been runner-up a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with Frenzy. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Just because he, I thought he'd do a lot, a lot more, but then he got the beat down. So guess what? Yeah, you know, I'm jumping here, but I agree with you. My less than meets the eye was Frenzy, too. And it was because he was all like, oh, I want action. I want action. And then ran away like a pansy and didn't do anything in the fight. So, yeah, he he bullied some humans. But other than that, he did nothing. He wanted action. And as the kids say, he really didn't want that smoke. So he got the magnet powder bath, didn't he? By uh, Jack. Wheel Jack. Oh, yeah. Wheel Jack's uh, signature weapon. They did a little bit of uh, weapons advertisement there. Yeah. 
that's what he got. He got a he got a whole bunch of magnetized pile dumped on him, and other than that, he retreated. So yeah, I'm with you there on frenzy. What do you think, John? Now I almost want to go back and edit my the touch to give it shockwave for being smart enough to send his his two idiots out. (laughs) (laughs) Frenzy's like throwing a fit. Star screams, obviously plotting. For my uh, less than meets the eye for Jazz, even though he did do a pretty decent job overall, he also very nearly killed a human again by accident by not realizing that they're some. Um, yeah, I would have picked Jazz as well too. Uh, would have been my second pick just for you know him doing the Madonna and li- living in the material world. I don't mind that. So. <laughs> He's a material girl, Pat. What's wrong with that? No, I was speaking more of uh, Jazz uh, jumping off of the of the road through the railing transforming in while GB falls the entire way and he catches him. Somehow he does not splatter up against him in, in a little puddle of pink goo. But we've seen him already uh, give spark plug with Wiki a heart attack by putting a wall of fire in front of him. And in one of the British comics that I remember, he kidnaps a small child. So Jazz is, despite being like more in tune with our pop culture, is a menace. <laughs> Thank you, John Jonah. You're welcome. (laughs) Now is the time for overall ratings for the book. To recap for the audience, we're still using the tech specs. One to ten. Ten being the best. One being the worst to describe how we felt about this issue. John, you are up. What do you rate this issue? This issue gets a seven. It probably would be a lot higher if the art wasn't uh, so problematic. It's a great issue. It's a great story. Uh, There's a lot of action going on. A whole bunch of stuff happens in this, and it doesn't feel like a slog to read through it. Mm -hmm. But art problems uh, bring it down. So seven. Pat? I'm going to agree with Jonathan on that as well, too. I have a seven story-wise. Very well done. Yeah, the art is what's holding it back from getting it almost a nine for me. Because I just mm-hmm. like enjoyed all that this had in it. And it was, a I want to say, a quick read. This is what I paid for it. You're, you got your monies out of the story, at least. What about you, Dylan? Let's make it sevens all around. The art was disappointing. But I don't think that was Mike Manley's fault. I think that it was the hodgepodge of inkers uh, that led to that. And mm-hmm. the story, the story was really good. And it was so good that... You felt a little bit bad for Josie, for Circuit Breaker at the end, because yeah. she is a completely tragic character. She, mm-hmm. she has just been broken by these Transformers. And she, what she's doing isn't, isn't right. But at the same time, you can't really blame her. And if Bob put all of that in one book, he did a really good job. And if, if this were if the artwork were solid, then yeah, it should it would have been rated higher. So it's a shame that we can't rate it higher because of that. Anyway, good job, lad. I I, I rate us a ten for this book uh, for this episode. I think we Me did a great too. job. Pat, I you're going to say something. Yeah, I said I, I really want to know. Hopefully, maybe the listeners out there could put it in the comments or or point me somewhere. You know, with the many hands, what happened there? What was going on? Yeah, heck yeah. I, I'd love to hear that. Even if it's just, oh, they were running late and we had to, you know, it'd just be interesting to see why this was rushed. Yeah, it would be interesting to see why they made, because you had a consistent writer, you had a consistent editor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would think that they would have been able to get the book out in time, but what, it was William Johnson who drew last book. I just wonder whether Mike Manley was a was the late fill in or was the anchor. Yeah. If anyone knows the backstory about the art for this book, we'd love to hear it. So if you could chime in on the comments or whatever, man, please school us and let us know. And we will definitely give you a shout out. So we can and never will leave you without John's segment of the show called Transformer Spotlight, where he discusses a particular Transformer who was featured in today's issue. It's all yours, John. All right. Thank you, Delvin. Uh, This is going to be one of the only times that we're featuring a non-robot in this segment. So sorry for all of you waiting impatiently for my detailed Ethan Zachary or Bomber Bill exposés. 
Circuit Breaker was never a toy, so she never had tech specs. But her story is interesting enough to merit the spotlight this month. Abilities-wise, we learn everything we need to know about her in this issue. She used her Marvel Mad Science skills to fashion herself superpowers in order to get revenge on those that wronged her in true supervillain fashion. Her circuitry allows her to move, to fly, to disrupt electronic equipment, and to fire energy bolt, which can do even more damage to electronics or transformers. She's the first human being besides Spider-Man that's anything resembling a threat to them. Circuit Breaker is and will remain a major part of the story for years to come. Both Budiansky and Furman use her extensively. Interesting. I was kind of, I didn't want to really ask that, uh, you know, so how long was she going to be around? Because I didn't want, you know, any spoilers. But it's safe to say she'll be around for a while. Very safe to say. Yeah. Oh, good, because I'm interested in her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she debuted as Jody Beller in Transformers issue 5, but issue 9 actually was not the first appearance of Josie as Circuit Breaker. Uh, that honor would go to Secret Wars 2 number 2, which Budiansky was editing, which came out earlier this month. Jim Shooter, who was the writer of Secret Wars 2 and editor-in-chief of all of Marvel at the time, did Bob a solid and allowed her to debut there. So because of this and the weird way that copyright laws work, Circuit Breaker has forever since been considered a Marvel character rather than a Transformers character, which has caused no end of headaches when it comes to reprints by companies that acquired the rights after Marvel lost them, I think. Ryan Daly uh, talked a bit about this in issue episode three. When IDW eventually worked out a deal with Marvel to be able to reprint the issues where she features as well as the issues where Spider-Man or the issue where Spider-Man features. But for a while that Marvel was playing hardball and many collections had to print text summaries instead of this and other issues, which is really ironic considering Marvel has never used her again after this series. There was a plan, though, to use her in a new series in the 90s that, Delvin, you might get a kick out of this. Josie was going to become part of a comic by Simon Furman and Andrew Wildman called Techno X, which would be a reworked Neonites. I don't know if you remember those. Mm, Yes. Yes, I do. With a brand new 90s costume with pouches and shoulder pads. Seriously, look up. Look up Techno X. Just Google it. And and the idea there to bring it back into the Marvel Universe is that uh, the Transformers would have been a simulation to train them against real robots. Primarily Ultron would have been her, their principal enemy. So it would have been a whole bunch of humans worked up to uh, fight robots uh, versus Ultron with uh, War Machine and Iron Man guest starring all the time. Oh, what would have been. Interesting. Yeah. I'd love to see her again. I wish somebody would remember she exists and use her somewhere. I think she could be a heck of a foe for um, Iron Man. She, she, I mean, seems like a perfect foe. Or not Iron Man, possibly Ironheart. He would be an excellent foe for her. Still write letters. Yes. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that is highly appropriate. We need to write a sternly written letter to the editors of Marvel. I wonder if some of the problems with getting this out in the, the inking, if this came out the same time as Secret Wars 2 and any other crossovers going on at that time, mm-hmm. maybe that had some play into that. I don't know. That's what I was going to guess, because I know a lot of the Secret Wars 2 issues, especially in the beginning, were having issues with deadlines, too. So it might have been that. Interesting. Which is odd, because Jim Shooter was Mr. Deadline. That was what he was known for and made Marvel into the powerhouse it was by saying, we will meet deadlines or you will lose your job. So I think it's time for one more promo break. So let's get to it right now. The Transformers will return after these messages. Night falls on the crate halls of Frenzywood. Chris and Jerry read this week's comics with a sense of terror and foreboding. Which books will they enjoy and which will unsettle them with an eerie mood striking into their very souls? They work their way through the rare and mysterious tomes to find those worthy of your attention. A knock comes to the door, bringing something strange and otherworldly that no one has ever seen before. 
It's the Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy Show. If you like indie comics and also like podcasts, please try the Professor Frenzy Show. Find the show in iTunes search and Facebook. Episodes tweeted out on at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. Thank you. We now return to the Transformers. And we are back. So we have a section that we are now calling Transmissions, where we share with you social media, like, shares, and retweets. And for this first inaugural opening of Transmissions, we have nothing. Mm. Oh, There's a reason. There's a reason, guys. A little truth and advertisement. We recorded this episode just a couple weeks after we recorded episode eight. Uh, So that's why we don't have them. So that's the show. Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 10. And there's a little bit something special going on. I may as well get into that explanation. We asked the question to our Crusaders Club members, uh, those loyal followers who uh, give us a coin or two on Patreon. By the way, you can join us if you'd like to on there. Find Longbot's Crusade and come join us on the fun. You get a say-so and show content. And in this case, we posed the question to our Crusader Club members and we asked them, uh, what would they like to see as far as two unique shows that we have on Long, Long Box Crusade? We have Transformers Chronicles, which is a little bit outside of the realm of the norm. And we have action film Face Off, which is a little bit outside the realm of the norm. And the Crusaders Club members said, hey, we want you guys to switch up uh, one of the hosts onto the show. And with that, I am going to be on next month's episode of Action Film Face Off. And you guys are blessed with the wonderful, the unique, the verbose, the man of many impressions, Jason Weasel Skull Albrecht, is coming to Transformers Chronicles for issue number 10 to join Pat and to join John. So you guys are in for a treat, I think. What do you think, Pat? What do you think? I'm excited for it. Yeah, definitely. I think as Jason is new to this as well, too. So I think it's going to be great to kind of both of us bombard Jonathan with lots of questions. <laughs> and despite that, I am looking forward to uh, working with Jason. So that'll be really cool. I mean, you might want to be careful because um, I, I think they know what you did. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Well, that's, I have to deal with that every day. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, if you would like to hear from us more, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on most podcatchers to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com. On Twitter at Longbox Crusade, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon at Longbox Crusade. And on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, Longbox Crusade. We have a do it live stream once a month. Every second Sunday, about 3.30 Central time frame. We give away stuff all the time. And if you're a Crusaders Club member, you get even more opportunities. Uh, last time, we gave away a lot of comic books. And it's just mm-hmm. fun giving stuff away. We're like Oprah up in this piece, except not as rich. So, John, why don't you tell us about your podcast and where you can be found? Okay. Uh, if you like Transformers stuff, you can check out the Rod Pod, uh, where my wife Maggie and I cover the IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics in order. And we also do Married with Comics, where we talk about everything else. Uh, you can find us anywhere you find your podcast. Just look for Married with Comics podcast, and we will be there. Also on Twitter, iTunes, same thing. Uh, you can reach us directly at marriedwcomics at gmail.com, or just yell really loudly out of your windows. Uh, at least Maggie will hear you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Pat? Where can we find you? Well, you can find me on the Twitter at Christato. Host zero one, Delvin. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at d e underscore r a y one nine seven seven. See you next time, and remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Till all are one. Till all are one. Think till all are one. And Jason joins us next time. Let's see if. <laughs> <laughs> See everybody. You got the touch. You got the power.
streets Break the rules Take the heat You're nobody's fool You're at your best When the going gets rough You've been put to the test But it's never enough You got the touch You got the power Breaking loose, you'll be right in the eye of the storm. You got the heart, you got the motion. You know that when things get too tough, you got the touch. All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. You know just what it takes, you're a fighter.